Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Boy or girl? Ready? Three, Three two, one... <laughs> Hello and welcome back. So I knew you were planning on right. Do you know what I was gonna say? I was gonna say. Oh, I was gonna say for some reason I feel nervous, and it's because you were eyeing me up, and I was like, he's planning something. He's gonna make me jump, and there you are. Give you little hotkeys. Well done. Do you want to explain to everyone what you're doing? So I've discovered that on our. It's not discovered. I knew it was there, but um, I've rediscovered the hotkeys on our roadcaster that we used to record mm. and thank you very much road for for installing some tasters of because a few kind of ideas of what you could do on these so God. this is like a sample one it's like when you go onto a computer and there's like sample music or like the yeah, shit profile picture yeah, you can yeah, get yeah. on windows so for example <laughs> i quite like that one to describe to you what it looks like if you imagine a dj that's mixing right and then has lots of coloured buttons that they can hit, and it goes like, DJ, DJ, it's like that. That's what Tris is pushing right now. Gee, look, the people have come to listen to us talk about IVF and pregnancy. Are you going to stop? Are you carrying on? (sighs) I'm losing the will. You can continue now. If you haven't yet, please subscribe. I promise. <laughs> the not all episodes start with that. And it is just the best way to support us. And it really helps us find new people to listen to the podcast. And yeah, it just it's just wonderful. Um, so my name is Miranda Burns. And over there, being exceptionally annoying today, is Tristan Hall. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm great. Having a great time, you know, just doing my thing, being hilarious. Do you know what? I think you know. it was funny. The first three times, rule of three. And now you're just being annoying. So wherever you are, we hope you're having the best day and thank you for listening. If you're new to our podcast family and test you, baby, we chat through all things IVF and hopefully beyond because cross your fingers that one day there's going to be a baby joining us. In true Tristan and Miranda style, there'll be a whole lot of tangents, more than one euphemism, and inevitably we will expose and embarrass ourselves. I think we have you guys to thank for today's episode because you've basically provided all the content for it because we're doing a Q&A. And I popped something up on my Instagram story, Miranda.Burns, and said, does anybody have any questions? Because I get quite a lot of questions in my DMs. Um, and too many to reply to. And I, I, feel so, no, I feel such guilt. I'm always like, ah, I need to reply to people because I want to help. Um, but I was like, do you know what? If I can just do an episode where we cover everything and it allows me to go into more depth, then box ticked. So yeah, 
Thank you for the questions, of which there were so many. Now, some of you will be here for the Q&A, but lots of you, I'm sure, will be here for the other thing we're covering today, <laughs> which we'll be covering later on, which is, Miranda? Our gender reveal. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to that. But at the end of this podcast, you're going to find out whether we're having a boy or a girl. Or maybe it won't be at the end. Maybe we'll be at the middle because I don't want people to just fast forward yeah. to the end and not listen we'll to We'll just shout it around. Really at the some point, it'll be like, it's hey, up! <laughs> so, very professional. Let me get my phone up with the questions on. I screenshot them from Instagram and I started writing them all out on this document that we've got, our prep sheet. And I was like, this is so pointless. I can just read it from my phone. I don't need to write these out. So I don't. I think we should just start in no particular order. They've covered things like IVF, pregnancy, endometriosis, all kinds of things. Um, so the first one, I guess, that we could answer is any tips for getting through the IVF two-week wait? Well, my friends... Look back wherever you're listening to this right now because there is a whole episode mm-hmm. all about that we did a few weeks ago yeah. covering how we dealt with two-week wait and our tips and tricks for getting through it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably the best thing to do is just signpost you to that episode because we go into such depth and we also give some little kind of, I don't know, little life hacks for it too and how we tried to stay positive, how we kept our mind busy, which I think is my number one tip is just keep your mind busy. But absolutely, once you're done with this episode, <laughs> go and check out that don't one. Leave yet. There's yeah. so much please, more to come. Please, it's so exciting. Um, how many IVF transfers did you do before you got pregnant? One. One. Well, none before. It was the one we did that we were successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I will put my hands up. We are exceptionally lucky. We are really lucky. Yeah. Because obviously with our journey, we are in contact with a lot of people Mm -hmm. through social media who have done IVF, are doing IVF. I've I've made so many friends. (laughs) And I mean, we are, you know, obviously we we speak to a lot of them about what their journey has been like. Mm. And we are so so lucky to have been successful first time around yeah it's really sad but not everyone has that sort of luck and it's more people who don't than do yeah um so you know yes we were very lucky but at the same time it does happen so don't lose hope if you're looking at IVF and you're about to start and go well this isn't going to work because it's our first time because it can it can work but the most important thing is to brace yourself just in case it doesn't. Yeah, I think so. It's one of those where you want to expect the worst but hope for the best, I suppose. Just kind of guard your heart. But if the amazing and the incredible happens first time, then embrace it. I think we were quite positive throughout though, weren't we? Obviously, we, yeah. we, we prepared ourselves for the worst, but we already had had the worst the previous mm. year. So I think we just remained very positive and and felt going into IVF and during it that it was just going to work for us. You know, we were so in that headspace that I think that it had to work. Yeah, well, I hope so. That's a nice way of thinking about it. I'm such a negative Nelly at the moment because I feel like because we had, we were so fortunate with our first embryo, I feel like, because we've got two that are on ice in the freezer. I feel like they're not going to work now because we had our luck with this one. But maybe I shouldn't think like that. You've just said positivity is our secret weapon. So maybe I should just think happy thoughts. It's my secret weapon. Yeah. Maybe not yours. <laughs> Hey, what soap Ooh, shampoo? Hello. Oh, hi, I know they've said hello. Hey, what soap shampoo did you use before egg retrieval and embryo transfer? Well, I have been a long-time lover of Faith in Nature, a brand of shampoo and conditioner that you can get on Amazon, but you can also get Holland and Barrett. And to be honest, I think you can get it in Sainsbury's and Tesco now. They're really branching out. You might even be able to get it in Boots. 
I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, so I cannot vouch for its chemical freeness. I'm sure there'll be somebody out there who's listening who's like, faith in nature is terrible for you, don't use it. Um, and they might well be right, but do you know what? It worked for me and I find I have really bad sensitive skin. Like I get reactions to everything. I can't really have like bubble baths because it just irritates my skin, which is so sad because I love baths. So I moved to faith in nature years ago, didn't I? I mean, it. I think I was using faith in nature before I met you. I don't it's, think you were. Was I not? I think we. I think we discovered it together. Oh, for some reason, a whole new world from Aladdin came into my head. Then a whole new. I've not got that world. on a hotkey. Sorry. Oh god, damn it! Not got for that. One job. You're only here for the sound effects. Christ. Jesus so, Christ, so, Miranda. <laughs> sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, so in answer to your question, lovely, faith in nature, faith in nature, everything. Soap, shampoo, conditioner, even washing detergent. That is what we used. And um, I was using it for years before, uh, you know, so not just the day before, just in the run up too. I think the day of when you had your shower or the day before, you didn't use anything. No, I so think, yeah. So in the run up to it, you were using that. Um, but yeah, then when when it came to the day of, we then just went nothing. You water, know, yeah. Water. I don't good old fashioned water. Good old fashioned water like they use in the olden days. <laughs> don't <laughs> never happening again. <laughs> I don't even think I. Oh, I didn't play. He, j- you didn't see this. That's because your faders down. You amateur. He went to hit a Sorry. hockey and nothing played, but his fader was down. See, I work in radio, so I knew that was going to happen. When was the last time you were on a desk? <gasps> oh my god, such sass from you. It has been a while. Anyway, moving on. I didn't fake tan is what I've been desperately trying to say while Tristan coughs off mic. I don't think I fake tanned for about four days before, which is really long for me because I usually fake tan quite regularly. Although it's incredibly patchy at the moment. I look like, um, well, I don't know what I look like. You've got a skin condition. Don't say that. I've just said that I've got really sensitive skin. People will think I have. Well, I suppose I have got a skin condition in some capacity. <laughs> Next question. Oh, well, actually, it says, hi, not a question, but I hope something good happens to you. Sending good vibes your way. Oh, well, that's lovely, isn't it? I mean, something good already happened to us. We're pregnant. Well, I was going to say that I discovered we had two frozen sausages in the freezer earlier, so I had those (laughs) for my dinner. Yeah. What was a boring egg on toast dinner became an absolute belter. Practically a full English. I was going to say, basically had a fry up. A hash brown short of a foot. Hash brown short of a full English. That was a mouthful. Please, as was the full English. Yay! Please, can you keep all your stumbles in? in. Thank you. There you go, guys. That's the reality of how these podcast recordings go. (laughs) That's why we always get them out late because I'm editing them for ages trying to remove my cock ups. Yeah, it was painful. So, next one. Uh, I think she just wants information on the COVID vaccine and Clomid tablets. Well, okay, so... Well, the COVID vaccine, yeah. uh, there are three versions. There's a Pfizer. Oh, uh, There's more than three. There's, there's a Johnson & Johnson. Boris, Moderna. Moderna. There's more than three now, aren't Ma- there? Moderna, Johnson Johnson, oh, Oxford. Pfizer, Oxford, 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 Bion- is it BioNTech? AstraZeneca, Oxford, AstraZeneca. Someone Pfizer. watches the news. I have not yet had my... 
COVID vaccine. And there's a reason behind that. I was called up. I had a little text message. I felt very popular to have it in March, which was relatively early, actually, for my age group. Um, I got classed technically as high risk. Um, And we decided not to have the vaccine at that point in time because we were just about to start IVF. And our clinic at the time, I don't know if it's still the case, um, but the policy in place that they had was that if you've had COVID or if you've had the COVID vaccine, you have to wait three months before doing fertility treatment simply because they didn't know whether it could affect the process and the embryo and your eggs. So they just said, look, let's just wait three months. So it is 100% out of your system. You can do a lateral flow test. There'll be no kind of residual COVID lurking in your system. We'll know that you're all clear. Um, And then you can just sort of like self-isolate throughout the process. So that was the initial reason why we didn't. Then when we got our successful pregnancy test, um, again, I got texts by the NHS saying, hey, come up, have your COVID vaccine. And in the end, I went in and had an appointment with my GP to discuss it. And we came to the conclusion that because I technically am a high-risk pregnancy, because it's an IVF pregnancy, um, I've had epilepsy previously, and I've had a second trimester uh, miscarriage very recently, he was like, let's just not throw another thing into this. Now, the COVID vaccine is safe. He said, to be honest, you could have the COVID vaccine and not even know about it and then just move on with your life and it would be absolutely fine. But if something goes wrong, it doesn't matter whether it was the vaccine or not. He said, you'll blame yourself on that decision that you made. And that's not because the vaccine causes issues with babies. No. That could be anything from you having an allergic reaction to it. You know, yeah, we, we yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. what the reaction would be. We have no so idea. Why take that risk at this moment in time? You know, yeah. why not wait a little bit longer? And I've had my first dose of the vaccine. Yeah, you have. I'm going to have my second in the next few weeks. So I'll be protected. All your family are protected. Yeah. Pretty much everyone you come into contact will be. Yeah, it's so going work. That is what will get you through. Basically, herd immunity yeah. is um, doing me a world of good I have not ruled out having it during the pregnancy not not at all it's just this conversation happened in the first trimester and he was like look everything's so kind of precarious at the moment let's just get you through that and we can we can come back to the drawing board in a couple of months time so I think when I have my flu vaccine which will be in a couple of weeks time I'll kind of revisit it maybe around like 20 to 24 weeks I'll have another think before I get into the third trimester when is the third trimester well, because people say 12 weeks is the end of the first, but it's not. When is the end of the first? Well, because 12, 12, 12 is 36 and you're pregnant for 40 weeks. However, from 36 weeks, technically your term, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Third trimester, I've just Googled it if your pregnancy is from week 29 to week 40. Oh, there you go. It's the well, last 11 yeah. weeks. It's not really a trimester at all because it was 11, 11, 11. It would be 33 I'm not really following any of the maths that you're doing right now, but I'm sure you're right. So, I don't know. I mean, someone who's listening to this will be screaming <laughs> at us right now. I know what the trimesters are. Bloody far. You... You're, a, you're an IVF podcast. You should know that. <laughs> this is a farce. <laughs> Bunch of amateurs. <laughs> Go home. What was the first thing you did after getting diagnosed with endo? What did the doctors say? I almost can't remember, to be honest, because it was so long ago now. Um, my doctor came into my room afterwards, uh, after my di- well, after my laparoscopy to have my diagnosis, and my mum was there, and I was still really coming around from the anaesthetic. My surgery had to be prolonged. It was supposed to be... I'm, I'm picking numbers out of obscurity here, but I think it was supposed to be 
an hour to two hours and it ended up being like four to five and he said it was because I was such a mess inside and his words were I don't know how you have lived with that for so long like your insides were just such a mess um and I he was like I opened you up and I looked at you and my heart sank and I thought most surgeons will give up and sort of cut out her tubes and her ovaries because I'd signed I'd signed to say you need to do whatever you need to do you just do it and he said I thought of my daughter who's the same age um how lovely is this and he thought you know I would fight for her so I'm going to fight for this girl and anyway I haven't left that surgeon since oh, I, Mr Baghdadi we love him he's, well, he's the one that got us pregnant yeah yeah congrats to him Anna. well done Mr B yeah I don't know, <laughs> I'm being I don't know. talented anyway that's what he said I don't truly believe that the diagnosis sunk in for at least oh, 10, 11 months. I just... I you going to say days. Oh, no. It was so long. Well, what happened was I got diagnosed. Um, and in the midst of all that, I was organizing moving to Brighton to launch a Capital Breakfast show. So I got diagnosed. Name drop. Yeah, I know. There you go. Pick that one up. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. But I have to explain it. So I was having phone calls with my soon-to-be boss, um, high on like oromorph and stuff, just like barely functioning, talking about contracts and things. So I didn't have time. Um, I even drove to Brighton with my dad and my brother, maybe like two weeks after surgery, to look around flats. And I remember having such a like sore tummy in the car. And then you know, a few weeks after that, I moved and all this happened. So I didn't really have time to process it. Then I moved to Brighton and I was surrounded by people that I had never met before. that I didn't really have much to do with. And so who I didn't then want to say, oh, by the way, I have this condition because I just didn't feel comfortable yet. You know, I didn't know these people and I was brand new in this job. So you just sort of put it off. And then the following year is when I met Tris and it's when I started to talk about it more. And I revisited all my doctor's notes. And um, I was fortunate because he'd fitted the marina coil, which... For me personally, it's not for everyone, but for me personally, it did help me manage my symptoms. It, it like lessened the pain. Um, and so I was kind of coping with that. And then obviously it just got worse. And we had, what happened? We had a burst ovarian cyst. I think that was the main trigger, wasn't it? That's the reason we went back to Mr. B. Mr. B, yeah. yeah. Because you were having you were having pain, yeah, I was. weren't you? And you were having like bleeding between your periods and yes, like all I sorts of weird stuff going on. about that. And you went for a scan with the NHS who are normally brilliant. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, as everyone who's probably listening to this, who has women's health issues, is aware, certain things are well, can be missed. Yeah, that was missed on the scan. The woman said, "Oh, that's absolutely there's nothing there, nothing wrong with you." Her actual words were, "I'll just get pregnant at some point, have a whole litter of babies like a cat would have with kittens, and that will solve all your problems." That's what she said to me. Sensible. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then I came back from holiday, and within a few weeks of that. You ended up with a burst cyst mm -hmm. um, or with a really, really, really bad pain. Went back to a doctor who yeah. was like, I don't know what it could be. Honestly, probably an adhesion or something going. Um, we then went back to your surgeon, Mr. B, who literally felt your tummy and was like, I think you've got a cyst. Yeah. Scanned you a week later. Yeah, you have a pop cyst. It was leaking fluid, he said. And then you had a laparoscopy and the rest is... is everything we already know about yeah. IVF and miscarriage and everything that's happened. So I'm afraid, I feel like I want, I desperately want to have something really profound to say to you, to be like, I got my diagnosis and then I wrote a letter to parliament and I tried to change the world. I didn't. It was a long process. I had to come to terms with this. I had to do research. I didn't, I didn't fully get what endometriosis was. I had a friend who had the condition, but that is as much as I knew. I had to go through, um, I had uh, pelvic floor therapy for a time with a fantastic physiotherapist 
therapist. I've since moved out the area, so she doesn't look after me anymore. But there was a lot of things that were going on that I was just coming to terms with. So I didn't really do anything with that information. It's life-changing information, though. So oh, yeah. it's not something you need to process immediately. Yeah. When you're told something as big as that, like it can take a long time for you to get your head around it, regardless of all the contextual factors you had going on, like moving and everything like that, and new job. You know, some people might take you know, five years to kind of start opening up about mm. it and really process it. So, you know, some people will be able to straight away start acting on it and, and doing all these things and campaigning like, you know, obviously you are now. Yeah. But a lot of people will, will hold on to that for weeks, months, years even before yeah. they, they do anything with it. So I guess the kind of answer to all of this is that you do whatever you want at whatever pace you feel is right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because everybody's different. And you just have to listen to your heart and consider your circumstances and come to a conclusion. There's another way to look at this question, which is what what actually did you do? And at the time you were tucking into a tuna baguette that you were struggling oh, yeah. to eat. So <laughs> I guess you fell asleep with a fish sandwich in your mouth? Yeah, I did. That is, if I was giving you a literal description of what happened immediately after surgery, that was it. If you go to my YouTube channel, Miranda Burns, I've done a lot of videos talking about my first laparoscopy, do's and don'ts, things to avoid. Um, and you can watch some of those videos where I explain in depth all the rookie errors that I made. <laughs> Keeping on the theme of endo, how do you manage to juggle full-time work alongside chronic illness? Well, I don't work full-time technically. I think that's how I manage it. So I'm really, really fortunate that my job is a radio show that's three hours a day, Monday to Friday. Um, I come in kind of like an hour and a half before the show to do prep. And other than that, we're at home together. And I do I do my own stuff. So like I'm, I'm running my own socials and we're doing these podcasts and things like that. But I don't really class that as work because I'm sat at home. And if I need to go and have a nap, Trish is like, go and have a nap. And I'll, I'll go and sleep or have a rest or whatever. So that is how I manage it. Now, for a period of time, I was working six days a week, one of which was like an overnight shift. And that's when I got really ill. Um, and my immune system in general is just shoddy. It's not great. I think that's all endometriosis related, to be honest. And so I struggled with that a lot. And it makes me really sympathize uh, for the people that have endometriosis who are working full-time jobs. I'm like, how the hell do you do it? For me personally, um, my main, the main symptom that I have an issue with is fatigue. Like I am such a tired person. I have no energy. The other day I was doing my makeup and halfway through applying my makeup, which only takes 10 minutes, I had to sit down on the floor because I was too tired. And I had to, like, I, I just had this realization. I was like, Miranda, oh my goodness. You, you're like, you're, this, this should not be so difficult. Why are you struggling? And I was like, I almost felt out of breath. I was so knackered from like just moving my brush up and down on my cheek. How bonkers is that? You also don't exercise. No, I don't That's exercise. That's probably part of it. Yeah, but the reason why I don't exercise is because I'm hypermobile and I've tried exercising in the it's past. another thing to add to the list. I know. Well, I always injure myself. I would love to know if you've got endometriosis um, and hypermobility. I'd be so interested to know if there's like a correlation between the two because that's why I'm scared of exercising. I have a slip disc in my back. That's the other thing that I have. And that was from just trying to do lunges and squats. I slipped a disc in my back. I've had back pain for years since. So I'm a little bit fearful of exercising. Tristan's rolling his eyes. He is very understanding, but I do appreciate that I sound quite feeble to the average person. <laughs> I literally was doing a couple of lunges and the disc in my back just bulged and popped. Ooh. But is there a more Miranda thing? I know. 
We love you, though. Should we list all my ailments? Go on. Okay, so I was born with epilepsy. Child epilepsy. Hey, okay. What came next? Uh, hypermobility? No. Uh, appendicitis. I had appendicitis. I have what's called a grumbling appendix, which is when you have <laughs> It just went on for like three years. I now think that it might be endometriosis related, but we'll never know. Anyway, appendicitis. Um, I then had constant problems with my eyes. I get really, really dry eyes. Um, I have constant problems with my tonsils, my throat. I um, have hypermobility. I have a bulging disc in my back, which means I get sciatica. There's m- there must be other things. Oh, inter- I can never say this. Interstitial cystitis. To be honest, I think, again, <laughs> that that is a byproduct of endometriosis. I feel like a lot of my problems are because my body's constantly fighting endo. And so other things, for example, my sore throat and my tonsil problems, they just take a back seat. So I think that if I could cure my endo, I feel like overall I'd just be a much healthier person. You forgot endo on that list. Oh, everyone already knows I've got endo. endo it's, it's in yeah. my Instagram bio. <laughs> Oh, this is a lovely question. What's your favourite thing about being pregnant? Isn't that nice? Oh, lovely. Okay. Uh, I can't choose a favourite thing. Can I do a couple? Go on. And you can answer as well because I want to know. I'm not. I'm just fat, Miranda. You're not <laughs> fat. But as in, what's your favourite thing about us? Like we're oh, pregnant okay, together. Nice. I'll go first. So I enjoy. I mean, I, I do and I don't. I enjoy going to hospital appointments for positive things. I so associate going to the doctors and hospital with like really negative, sad stuff. Obviously we've had a really negative and sad pregnancy experience. So in the back of my mind, that anxiety is still there. But when we have a positive appointment, it's really lovely being able to walk into the antenatal clinic and see our midwife and just talk about happy stuff and planning the future. So that's, you know, it's really nice. I love seeing my bump grow. I recently did an Instagram post about this. Like, it's so much fun because you can't see Squidge, can you? You know, they're just in there doing their thing, going. The only thing we can see is the bump growing. So that's like a little reminder that they're there, which I love. And then finally, I guess I I just am so grateful that my body's working and doing everything correctly. So every day that I wake up and I'm not bleeding and every day that I wake up and I am not in pain, as in specific, like miscarriage pain or anything like that, um, I, that, that makes me so happy because I'm so used to having only ever experienced the negative side, waking up and having like bad news. So yeah, I think those would be my theory. What about you, Trub? Well, uh, firstly, I, as you know, I'm a planner. Right, I oh, love yes. planning stuff. So the thought that this little creature is going to come into our life and we can just plan everything yes. for it, right? So buying clothes, baby names. Um, finances. Finances, that was a good fun. That was an evening we're not going to yeah. get back, was it? We, we've got a whole spreadsheet now. Oh, God, it's so confusing. But we've got, <laughs> we're going to be okay, guys. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> got money coming in from the pot at some point as well, hopefully. So uh. <laughs> our aim is to, yeah, if you guys can pay for us. No. to get through this baby and this pregnancy that'll be amazing thanks guys uh, please don't piss. please don't guys sorry no, but if you want to you can uh so yeah that's there's that side of it um and then for me i think similar to your growing bump thing is that during pregnancy where we're at right now miranda's starting to feel little movements and yeah. stuff um and i obviously can't feel those but i can like provoke squidge to make movements yes so 
I don't know how many times you don't know, but I've been lying there on Miranda's tummy, either talking to Squidge or like tapping away at her tummy. And I can get Squidge to like do a little kick or a move and Miranda will feel it. And I, I it's, it's like I'm, um, I don't know how to describe it. I'm like tapping and I look up at Miranda waiting for a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like and a I child annoying like, a mum. I'll be like, yes, yes, I can feel them. Or I'll be like, no, not yet. And you'll do it again. Come on, come on, Squidge. So yeah, I like doing that. Here's a little mashup of pregnancy and endo. Have you ever been told endo would affect implantation slash anything pregnancy related? Hmm. Okay, so going to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor again. Um, I, as well as endometriosis, have adenomyosis, which I always struggle to say. So I'm really proud of myself for getting that out, but I have that too. And... I don't know whether there's been enough research into it. I'm going to hazard a guess that there probably hasn't. But I would suspect if there was research that perhaps if you have issues in particular with your like your womb, that they that may cause problems with implantation. I'm fortunate that my womb lining is uh, the right size. It's thick when it needs to be thick and it sheds when it needs to shed. So my doctors always said to me, this is brilliant. This is fantastic. Your womb lining looks healthy. I know of other women who really struggle to uh, keep a baby. They can get pregnant, but they can't keep a baby. And that is because their womb lining isn't playing ball. What I don't know is whether there's a correlation between the two, but I'm going to hazard a guess that possibly there is. Yeah, because we know on our side that our issue is not is not keeping baby. Our issue is, is getting pregnant in yeah. the first place. So unfortunately, we've not got a lot of experience on the other side. Yeah. Um, but there, there, there must be a connection between something somewhere. You'd think so. If, you're, if your womb lining wasn't playing ball in the most basic of ways, i.e. being the correct thickness, you would suspect that that would um, cause a problem with embryo sticking. I'm going to say something now, and I might be wrong, but I feel like Khloe Kardashian has that problem. Uh, I think I read it somewhere, so please don't quote me, but I think she might have an issue whereby she struggles to keep her baby in the lining of her womb for one reason or another. Now, progesterone pessaries are like a new thing that are kind of being trialed, and we had those, and I know that Tommy's the miscarriage charity that are really pushing for them to be used across the board. I think that they can help, and they certainly can help with women who have early like bleeding in pregnancy as well, and then goes on to a miscarriage. So if you have any concerns, um, I would bring that up as an option. And worst case scenario, you can pay for them privately. I can't remember exactly how much that was cost, but I think for a baby, it's it's worth the extra expense if you can't get them on the NHS. If you could get them prescribed privately. And just to quickly clarify, the way that endometriosis did affect our fertility um, was it damaged and blocked my tubes. So that was the main problem. Also, obviously, I get a lot of ovarian cysts, which damaged my egg reserve. Okay, so here's another interesting one. Um, How long after your first laparoscopy did your painful periods get better? All right, well, this is an interesting one because I got put in the pill really early on because I was complaining (laughs) about painful periods. You guessed it. So I went on the pill. And that masked a lot of my symptoms for quite a long time. So I'm not going to recommend it because it's kind of just like pulling pulling a blindfold over your eyes as opposed to sort of facing up to the problem. So yes, being on the contraceptive pill eased the pain of my periods. However, we already know that when my surgeon opened me up for my laparoscopy, he was shocked at the damage that had happened inside. So the pain from my periods was already semi-managed prior to the laparoscopy if you don't include the first sort of three or four years where I was complaining about it, hence being put on the pill. So it's hard to answer this question because during my first laparoscopy, he also fitted the marina coil, which again, I've already said, helped me again pain-wise. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So it's really hard for me to say. I, I can tell you that the first periods and ovulation in particular after laparoscopies, I find excruciatingly painful. They were hell. Um, but as for how long after my first laparoscopy did my painful periods get better, it would be difficult for me to say because I was masking the problem <laughs> with contraception and painkillers. And I just want to clarify, please do not go on the pill to try and solve your problems because I learned the hard way that it just masks them and it doesn't solve them. The next question. To have the blood test you mentioned before for fertility, do you have to be off contraception? And is it done privately rather than on the NHS? Also, love you guys. Oh, thanks. We love you too. I can't remember is the honest answer. I don't, was I? No, yes, yes. I was on the coil. I was. I had the coil in, didn't I? When we had our AMH test. Yeah. Yeah. So the AMH test, I think, is what you're referring to. And that's when they check your ovarian egg reserve to give you an idea of how many eggs you've kind of got sitting about in your ovaries. And yeah, I had the coil fitted. So it must be fine. It mustn't affect it. If you're having an AMH test, make sure you find out before if you should be off your contraception or if they say perhaps you know, if, if it's a week off, month off, six months off, whatever yeah. they want. But for us, at least, we had, yeah, you had a coil in whilst we had your AMH test. Yeah. And we had it done privately. I don't actually know if the NHS offers it. So again, you'd have to ask your GP. They must offer it because it's a diagnostic test. Yeah, you'd think so. Because it's a, what is it? Is it 200 something pounds, was it? Yeah, something like that. And NHS terms, that's like an appointment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. G equivalent. You know, if, it, if it was a blood test that was, you know, 10 grand. It's like the, um, 
the NIPT, the full NIPT screening that people do for when you are pregnant and you want to have a chromosome test, non-invasive something test. Um, <laughs> and basically what it does is it looks at uh, the baby's blood and checks it for chromosome abnormalities and microdeletion syndromes and stuff like that. That can be done, but it costs a thousand pounds for the full set. And the NHS don't offer it because that's a lot of money to test for. Yeah. Whereas 172 inch quid for your AMH is a little bit more realistic. So I'm guessing it's a way that the NHS would test for it. Now, as with anything with the NHS, I'm sure there is a wait to be uh, to be had. Um, so if you're concerned and feel that this could be a time sensitive matter, it might be worth just going private for it. Mm. Um, and you know, just for peace of mind, it might be that your AMH is fine, in which case then you can hold off a little bit longer to go for the NHS route. But uh, if, if you feel that things are, you know, time sensitive, then perhaps the private route is the right one for you. Yeah. Funny you say that, Tristan, because the next question is, just found out we need IVF. Did you go private or through the NHS? It's also scary and overwhelming. Bless you. I know it is, but you've got this. You're a warrior. You can do it. Um, We went private. Everything I have done uh, has been private. My laparoscopy, because I spent almost a decade trying to get a diagnosis for something. I didn't, I didn't really understand what it was. I just knew something was wrong and I had no success on the NHS. So I went private and it was my private doctor who suggested we have the AMH test. It was my private doctor doctor who diagnosed my infertility and so it was my private doctor who did IVF and we we're very lucky that I had healthcare insurance which sort of covered all the endo stuff and that we had family and our own savings to pay for the IVF so you can do NHS I know that there's like a waiting list you have to be trying for a particular amount of time beforehand um, we've done a whole episode on how much our private IVF cost however but yeah if you're interested in how much it cost we broke the whole thing down for you so you can check out that episode <laughs> What are the main triggers that cause an endo flare-up for you? Uh, Like I've said, a lot of my period pains were masked by contraception. So it's hard to say. I know in general, alcohol uh, always makes my particular symptoms way worse. Lack of sleep. um, Those are all the general kinds of things that cause problems for me. I've never been able to pinpoint a food. I don't know if a food triggers anything in particular. Um, But generally just running myself to the ground, that is going to cause me to get very, very ill very quickly. End of pain in the first trimester. How do you manage it? I didn't manage it. I was in a lot of pain. I felt like my insides were going to burst. I was, oh God, it was horrible. It's subsided a bit now. I don't get the pain like I used to. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, So I'm 17 weeks. So I hope that if you're reading this, oh, sorry, you're not reading it. You're listening to it. It's because I'm reading your question. If you're listening to this um, and you'll say like nine, 10 weeks, just know there's hope on the other side that fingers crossed it will let up a little bit. I had warm baths. Um, I stretched a bit and I lay very still I'm so sorry I don't really have a kind of miracle cure for it because I didn't want to use a hot water bottle because you're not meant to get too hot so I just sucked it up and I would have paracetamol on occasion but oh my god yeah I really feel you girl like it's so painful it felt like everything was splitting like every adhesion I'd ever had that was caused by endometriosis was just like tearing inside and it was it was horrible in the latest episode you said you could have had six months trying naturally first i thought it was two years Ah, interesting so the two years thing is an nhs thing that they cover everyone with the blanket thing that is drive two years then nhs ivf can be offered to you our six months was what our private consultant suggested so Mm -hmm. our private consultant looked at us and our problems and said 
on the surface of it right now, if we knew that your AMH was steady, you can try for six months. If you get pregnant within those six months, brilliant. If you don't, then you do IVF. Obviously, at that point, before we had our miscarriage, before we even started doing IVF or anything like that, we weren't sure what the rate of decline of Miranda's AMH was. We didn't know if it was going to drop off really quickly or if it had been quite steady or if it had done its drop five years ago when yeah, it was now no, steady. steady. So we, we had no idea. So we, we weren't blessed with, with time to try. Obviously, our hand was enforced with COVID happening and everything that happened after that. But yeah, the whole six months versus two year thing was our consultant's preference in regard to our fertility issues. Yeah, and our circumstances. I don't know, but I would suppose that because we'd been diagnosed infertile by a private consultant, we could have then gone over to the NHS and said, yo, we have this diagnosis. Can we do IVF with you? But I feel like there was a couple of little bits of like red tape, which meant we couldn't. Something to do with our age because we were very young, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. We looked into it. We did. Yeah, I, I remember trying to, to, to like work out a way to get it done and, and just to see because as we've highlighted in previous episodes IVF is very expensive and I think it was that coupled with the fact that we trusted your consultant so much yeah absolutely was the reason that we ended up going private in the end but we did look into it and I think we would have had to have diagnostic tests like your AMH or anything like that done on the NHS again now yes the results of the stuff that we had privately you know, medical results, but I don't know if the NHS trust that or if they, they want to do their own tests. Yeah. So I think that we would have ended up having to go back through and have all those tests done again. And, and as I said before, wait times in the NHS are bad at the best of times. Yeah, time, so. and time was of the essence first. This is the thing. So we didn't know if I was like a ticking time bomb, if like my AMH was dropping, 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 and within a year I was going to have no eggs left. So we didn't have the luxury of experimenting and going to different places and shopping around. We basically were told, kind of now or never, here's six months, have that, try, but please come back to me afterwards because I don't think that you're going to manage this. So that's why, and then like Tris already mentioned, uh, we were just so besotted with my consultant anyway that it kind of made sense that we'd stick with him. And we knew that we were fortunate that we had the funds and the family support that we were going to be able to do it. So if you have someone who's there who's like, I will do this for you right now, and you have the means to do it, you're most likely going to say yes rather than start all over. I'm sure you understand what it's like when you go and see a new consultant and you have to explain everything over and over again. And yeah, we just didn't want to do that. How do you cope with people who think your endo isn't real? My boss doesn't believe me. Well, your boss is clearly... A dick. Yeah, I was going to say, say it how it is, Tris. That's what I was thinking. Is not a nice person. I'm so sorry. Um, what sort of boss doesn't believe someone oh, with I a know, medical issue? I know. My boss doesn't believe me. Fuck off. It's because they can't see it. It's this whole invisible illness thing. It's like, if I can't see it, then it's harder for me to believe it. And like my wife and my sister and my daughter, they have periods and they're fine. So you're just being dramatic. I can't see that massive dick on your head, boss, but I'm pretty sure it's there because you're a dickhead. <laughs> Honestly, um, I I would run a mile. Punch him in the face. No, don't kick listen. him in the knees. <laughs> Is it a man? Is your boss male? Yeah, actually, we're being presumptuous. It might be female. It could be female. However, I'm allowed to say this because I'm a man. I'm pretty sure it's probably a man because. Mm. This is the sort of thing that men would say, you know, yeah. I don't believe it or anything like that. That's I know, that's I know. I'm I sorry, know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, do you know what? If you can, um, I know you can't obviously change jobs, um, but just try and avoid that kind of conversation. And if they're, if it's becoming an issue, i.e. they're not letting you have time off that you need to have time off, um, 
that you need time off for, for like medical appointments and things like that. And when you're managing symptoms and you're having a flare up, doctor's notes, all right, just get doctor's notes. And they can't very well tell you that a doctor or a surgeon or a gynecologist is lying, is ignorance. And I pray and I hope that because we're talking about these kinds of things and we're speaking up that eventually people will come to terms with it and this kind of conversation won't have to happen. Uh, but for the time being, I am just so sorry. Get that negativity out your life, girl. Run in the other direction. I am scheduled for my first laparoscopy in two months. I am so nervous. How is your recovery? Don't be nervous. You've got this. You're going to be okay. Um, my recoveries were okay. The first recovery for the first lap was better than the second recovery. The second recovery was bad because I got tonsillitis. So I had an infection in my throat. And then I got severely constipated afterwards. So my number one tip that I'm going to give to you is ask your doctor to recommend a stool softener. Not a laxative, not something that's going to like cramp your tummy, just a stool softener. Because when you have abdominal surgery, um, firstly, everything kind of slows down. So you're prone to getting constipated anyway. But also, you're not going to want to strain when you go to the loo. You're not going to want to squeeze. Everything instinctively is telling you to just be really gentle with yourself. So that's when you can become constipated. So if you're using a stool softener, hopefully crisis averted, you'll avoid that. Just lots of rest, at least two weeks. But to be honest, if you can have more, then give yourself more. Lots of water, stay hydrated, so important. And just take it really gently. And if you go to my YouTube page, Miranda Burns, I've done loads of videos like laparoscopy do's and don'ts, things that I would recommend. Um, and we even vlogged uh, my second lap. So you can watch that too to give yourself a good idea of kind of what happens. <laughs> Right, we've got two more questions that we're going to cover, but they are specifically miscarriage related. And I know that for some people, miscarriage can be obviously a really triggering thing to have to listen to other people discuss. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back to those questions. Um, but first, we're going to announce the gender. So if any poor soul has been listening to the whole of this just because they want to find out if it's a boy or a girl, but they don't want to hear about miscarriage, don't worry, you can find out the gender now. So how are we going to do this? I don't know, we've not actually planned this yet. No! Okay, oh. so let's run you through the options. It's a boy or it's a girl. Ha, huh, probably got you then, didn't I? <laughs> you probably like, oh, it's a boy! Hey! <laughs> so, boy or girl. Ready? Three, Three two, two, one, girl! girl. <laughs> it's a girl! <laughs> Woo! Oh. The best feeling in the world. Oh, my goodness. All the excitement. We cannot wait. Oh, my goodness. There's actually a video clip that we'll put out at some point. Oh, yeah. Something of, of, of when we found out. Because we found out through our NIPT, so it was on a bit of paper. Yes. And the email came through. And we're looking at this bit of this thing on my phone. And we were both so convinced it was a boy, yeah. weren't we? Like, no matter what you guys thought, you know, we were both, like, 100% boy. We yeah. were so sure. So we were looking for X, Y, right? So we were like, "This, where is the X, Y on this bit of paper? And then Miranda realises it says X, X. And <laughs> oh, God, we both cried so much. I yeah. was like sobbing. Because we said afterwards, like, this is our chance, isn't it? This is yeah. our go at the thing that we missed out on last time. Our second chance, yeah. yeah. So it feels so lovely that we've kind of come full circle now. Yeah. And that we are looking towards this second chance at having our little girl. This future that we'd already planned that had been, then been like snatched away from us. So yeah, we're over the moon. We've got girls' names as well. We've got <laughs> two potentially. Ah, 
I'm not going to tell you those. Though. No, that's a secret we'll for hold now. Those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. We are having a girl. Um, so we're going to come to the miscarriage questions now. Um, did you feel stigmatized for having a termination for medical reasons? Um, and did you choose to use other language? I know, big question, big question. They've sent it with a love heart. So I suppose to clarify, we need to explain what happened, don't we? Which we have done. So we very early on in pregnancy had a few warning signs that we kind of just put out of our heads and got on with pregnancy for because these are equally things that can just be normal. So we sucked it up and got used to it and and, and dealt with it ourselves. Um, we then had a couple of heavy bleeds. You had consistent bleeding from about seven weeks onwards, yeah. wasn't it? So seven weeks all the way up until 18 weeks, we had consistent everyday spotting. Uh, we then went for a scan that was a gender scan, a private one, uh, and the sonographer couldn't see the gender of baby. Uh, however, did notice that we had very low amniotic fluid and then referred us to our hospital for an NHS scan at 17 weeks, obviously earlier than 20-week scan. Um, and... At that, we were told that Amberly, our daughter, wasn't really growing how she should be. So anyone who's had an ultrasound scan will know that when they're measuring parts, they'll click on one end of the part or they'll work a way of making something into a sphere and then make it the size of that body part and they can then calculate your gestation, so how pregnant you are. Yeah, versus how you know, use, sorry, using how big the head is, for example. Yeah. Is the head measuring 17 weeks? Yes, it is. Okay, great. And then go on to measure other things. So... We, at that point, were able to do several different measurements. So they measured head size, uh, chest circumference, femur length, yeah. everything. Um, and our scan came back a bit all over the place. Mm. So we knew at the time that we were, on paper from our 12-week scan, we were 17 weeks. In our heads, we knew we were more like 19. So there were some parts of uh, Ambly that were 18 weeks. There were some parts of Ambly that were back down at like 14 weeks, yeah, 12 like weeks. weeks wasn't so. A bit all over the place and that's a real kind of red flag and that meant we were told at that point that things weren't looking great and we were referred to the fetal medicine unit mm -hmm. uh, where we went for a proper scan and that was like an hour-long scan that they measured every single part of her looked at her heart all of her organs and we were taken away and basically told that she she was not going to make it yeah um and this was something that was said to us not not that black and white it was kind of it's it, it, they are they're reasonably tactful what they're yeah, saying yeah they are they? tactful but i mean it was it, it almost was that blunt i remember he said he's like i've been doing this job for 25 years um and i have never seen a baby survive with the condition that your baby has and there is a less than zero percent chance of her surviving but it took us asking him yeah that question to get the answer from him because they just give you the information they give you the information that they've got to best advise you, but they can't make that decision for you. When we were told the information about his experience, you know, he's one of the top fetal medicine consultants in the country and was saying, you know, I, I don't think, you know, in all my years, my 25, 30 years of doing this, I've never seen a baby survive with your baby's yeah. abnormalities. I mean, if we just say as well, so Amberly's heart wasn't contracting back in. So if you imagine opening and closing your fist and you do that in front of you now, um, when you open it, that's your heart obviously pumping and then it kind of all comes back in to pump again. Amberly's wasn't closing properly. So imagine you're creating a loose fist with your hand. That meant that her chest was just like filling up with liquid and sort of blood and stuff. Um, so that alone was reason enough for her to not survive. But then when you add everything else into it as well, and we then obviously got the diagnosis later down the line of this um, chromosomal issue called triploidy, which is essentially non-survivable. Um, 
we we had we had we were we had a choice, but we had no choice. The outcome was always going to be that she wasn't going to make it. Um, so our choice we were given was either you terminate now, mm-hmm. um, which is quite, a, it's not a nice word to use. I understand what she means in yeah, the question. It's a horrible um, word. But kind of end end things with Amberly now um, and then kind of give birth or you go home and you get on with pregnancy as it is at the moment and she's not going to, she's not going to make it much yeah, further. You wait either for the inevitable miscarriage or... Or if by some fluke of science you manage to get to like labour and you give birth, then you accept that she's going to pass away within a couple of hours after giving birth. If not before, if, during yeah, labour. During labour, during so stress. It, it, we knew at that moment that the outcome was always going to be the same. Mm. Um, and that decision was, was not an easy one to make. But I stand by the decision that we made, which was that we were going to essentially induce Miranda to to go into labor um and give birth you know at that point which would have meant that Amberly wasn't going to make it but our reasoning behind it was that you know we knew in that moment that Amberly wasn't feeling pain yeah um she was she was you know we, we gave you know gave birth to her we held her afterwards so she was she was a baby but she wasn't developed enough to feel pain and to know what was going on and that is something that we took not comfort from but it was a better way that we felt to do it instead of going any further to a point where she would be able to feel pain yeah absolutely and um i also think as well um i mean i commend any woman who can be given that news and then carry on with the pregnancy because mentally at that point like my i was broken i just don't think i could have carried on i wouldn't have been able to get on with my life i would have just sat and cried every day um and been unable to get over what was happening until it just inevitably happened anyway so it was the one thing that we had within our control it's like okay so Amberly's going to die when is that going to happen and you can make that decision and so we just decided to do it sooner rather than later because for the two of us it was just like torture physically and mentally to kind of carry on with a pregnancy that we just knew wasn't wasn't going to last so um with regards to your question specifically, why don't we reference it as a uh, like a termination? Tris is right. I don't think that word's particularly nice. Um, a termination. It just kind of. It just sounds a bit like. It sounds violent, and it just sounds kind of. I don't know. It doesn't sound particularly loving, does it? And we loved her more than anything. We still do love her more than anything. We did talk incredibly openly on a YouTube video that we made soon afterwards because I was like, I need to document this. I found that really therapeutic. And I went in complete depth and complete honesty and transparency about everything we took. I think I detailed the medication that we had to take um, in order to induce labor, how that worked, the pessaries that they had to use to kind of stimulate your cervix, all these various different things. So I've never hidden it. It's not something that we've hidden. It's just something that we choose not to talk about all the time because I'd rather talk about loving her and missing her than talking about the technicalities of how we lost her you know I don't think I often mention what exactly was wrong with her I just say when we lost Amberly or when we had our miscarriage at 18 weeks because it's just it's just really hard to it's hard to use scientific language when discussing the passing of your daughter so I, th- I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, it's not because we think that someone who's cho- chosen to um, terminate their pregnancy for any reason is like less of a person. No way, n- not at all. It's just to kind of protect our hearts a bit. 
And then this one's not so much a question, um, but I had a miscarriage at 10 weeks, two months ago, and it feels like I can't move on from it. Um, firstly, I'm just so sorry. Um, it's the worst pain. It's the most unbearable heartbreak. Um, and yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just so, so sorry. Also two months, that's so soon. That's eight weeks. Don't rush yourself. I, I still don't feel completely right to be honest. And it sure as hell took longer than two months for me to be functioning. Like I didn't see your baby niece and nephew for something like half a year, did I? Because I couldn't even be on FaceTime to them because I just found it really hard being around like babies and children and certain conversations I had to walk away from because yeah, it upset me. So just give yourself time. If you can go outside for walks, um, if you don't feel up for that, go outside for drives, just try and change the location that you're in and your environment because I found it really suffocating just being trapped in the house constantly after our miscarriage, going outside and just having fresh air and seeing trees and greenery, even you know, it was really, really good for both of us. Um, and I'm also just going to give you a quote. I know this sounds so cheesy, but I found this quote, I think someone might have sent it to me actually, when we were going through our miscarriage with Amberly, Um, and it really, really helped me. So I'm going to pass it on to you. Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. I think that's a really nice note to end it on. So if you like what you heard, the best way to support us is to leave a review. And also, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, please get involved. It will make our day. And don't forget that you can see our faces over on Instagram, Miranda.Burns, Tristan.Hall and TestTubeBabyPod. Pod. For podcast. Join us at the next one. We will see you next Monday. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. 